0: This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 1-1 one one Clothing Company making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at line one, one clothing on Instagram. And last but not least Monzingo knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo knives and get your American made Monzingo knife today. Welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast. This podcast is created for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for the children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Our special guests today are father and daughter tandem, Gene Rice and Courtney bezgrau Jean Gene is a leading executive recruiter, co-founder, and chairman of Rice Cohen International. He's a keynote speaker and an executive coach. Rice was recognized by Recruiter.com as one of the 100 most influential people in the history of recruiting and has helped thousands of people capture their dream jobs. He is also co-founder of the Plant to Seed Inspire a Dream Foundation, which helps children pursue their passions. Courtney is a high school English teacher who uses her passion for literature and a desire to inspire others to inform her work. She enjoys mentoring teachers and helping her students find their inner voices. Welcome to our show, guys. David, thank you for inviting us.
1: Thanks so much for having us.
2: And and before we get started, David, I want to just share with you, I've had an opportunity to listen to a couple of your podcasts, and I think you uh, are really doing great things, and you are sending messages that are right on. So congratulations, my friend.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, that's what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to spread the message. So, you know, just spread that good word that fathers are more than just a paycheck.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, without further ado, I want to just say that you guys wrote this amazing book. Okay. That I recently started reading. Okay. Grad to grownups, 68 tips to excel in your personal and professional life. So I want to ask you guys, what inspired you to write this book? You know, David,
2: one thing and one thing only, to help people, right? All The whole purpose of the book is to give back and to help people. And I've made so many mistakes in my life that I've learned from that I think are worth passing along. And I want to help people maybe avoid some of the potholes in the road of life. Uh, you know, the, whole, the, the purpose of the book is to help everyone, but especially young adults, create a professional and personal life that they can be proud of.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm and how how has that inspired your daughter as well you know with this with this book and stuff how has it inspired her Courtney
1: so for me um, when my dad set out on this project uh-huh I was more of the cheerleader and my dad is a speaker he is so good at verbalizing his messages he's been all over the country he spoke about his profession. He trains people, but he's not necessarily a writer. And so as an English teacher, I love to write. And this was a pandemic, um, almost just a pandemic passion for us. We had extra time on our hands and we said, let's do this together. I'll help you put all your ideas on paper. And as we started to write it, as we got our literary agent, as we got our publisher, we realized that there were two voices here. And so what I was inspired by is that my dad has all of this wisdom that he's given me throughout my life that we're now sharing with other people. And I can come in and talk about how it's affected me, as well as, you know, in someone in a different generation, in a different career field, how it might translate to to those people as well. And so we just became this duo naturally. There's two voices in the book now. And I think I was inspired by my dad's um, passion, and then it really became my own passion. Mm
2: -hmm. And David, one thing I'll add, and probably one of the best things that came out of this project working with Courtney, Courtney has this unbelievable passion to be in the classroom and to influence high school students. She loves it. However, for the last eight years before this year, she was in a very toxic uh, school system where there were six to eight openings in her English department constantly. She was the most tenured person. People were leaving. It was a revolving door. And what came out of this together and doing the book together is she got inspired to listen, I'm gonna go find an environment that will really embrace and match to myself. And she went out and interviewed and captured this unbelievable job in a private, Quaker school, that aligns with her beliefs, who understands and appreciates the teachers they have. And if nothing else came out of this book before we even published it, I said, you know what, that in itself was worth taking the time to write. it.
1: Exactly. That wasn't, you know, our inspiration or our purpose. Mm -hmm. But as we were going through this, and I'm re, you know, hearing these lessons from him, Mm -hmm. I realized I was stuck. And I was unhappy, and it was hard for me to acknowledge because teaching was a profession that I picked because I was passionate. I also had an economics degree and I was like, I want to teach, I want to help people. This is what I love doing. And, you know, we'll probably talk a little bit more about how I came to teaching, but I came to teaching because I love to do it. And so to be able to recognize that I can love teaching, but not be in the right spot, and then to also have the guts to say, I'm going to leave a place where I have tenure, amazing health insurance, um, knowledge of what to do. It was scary, but Mm -hmm. in hearing these life lessons, again, I realized this is what I have to do. It's not, it's not even a choice anymore. And so it was a wake up call for me. And honestly, I wake up every day now and I'm still teaching, Mm -hmm. but I'm in an environment that respects me, lets me grow, um, in so many different ways. So that's one of the really lucky byproducts of of writing this.
0: And you know what I thought that was interesting both you guys said is that toxic environment and it is absolutely true. Um we left from a toxic environment, you know, from New Mexico. Um I worked at a utility which was toxic. I mean, it was it was shredding my marriage, uh shredding everything about me. Myself, you know, I, I thought I was going to go into this environment where I was going to be able to influence them, and I started to become like them, you know. And my wife said, "She's like this utility isn't just a utility; it's a people because the the entire utility that I worked at had the same mo. I mean, throughout the board, um, no accountability, no leadership from the top down. I mean, it was absolutely insane, and you know when they're promoting that type of behavior and shutting down the people who are actually doing the work, that leads to you having this 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 uh, regret and pain and, and anger towards the place you're working at. You know, all of a sudden you you get to this position, you're working at this place where you feel you're called to be, and then all of a sudden you start building this this uh, resentment you know, and that, that, that leads to toxic environment because now you're angry at your job, a, a job that used to be so happy to go to and wake up every day. Now you're dreading getting up. You, you're depressed, you go to work, you come back and all of a sudden you're taking it out on your family. And I think that's so important. That's, that's why I love your guys's book. It's because if more people would realize that, to be able to fall into, to, to recognize these environments, right. As toxic. Right. And to be able to have the courage to leave them and recognize and leave these places. I think more people would be happier. You know what I mean? Where they can be able to serve a purpose and be able to give back to people. I like what your book said, Ronald Reagan. I took that quote where it says, you know, everybody, you can't help everyone, but everyone can help someone. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're in these environments and you're just getting beat down, you can't help anybody.
2: And you know what, David, you know, I I read a survey recently. I shared it with Courtney, right? They interviewed 2000 male executives, right? Uh 51% of them, these were senior guys, had no job satisfaction in what they did. So they woke up every morning and they went to a job. And that's one of the reasons why Courtney and I wrote the book. I believe one of the goals of every human being should be to find something that you love doing, that you are passionate about, that gives you purpose, and then to figure out a way to make a living doing that every day. Because my experience, I had that in my career, my experience is if you can find that purpose and that passion, your personal health is better, your personal relationships are better, the glass isn't half full, it can be overflowing, You got a little bit of a hop in your step, right? And that's one of the things that really concerned me. The book, there's something in this book for everyone. There's 68 tips based on my life. Mm -hmm. But I really geared it towards the young adults that I've dealt with. You know, every summer for the last 25 years, David, I would bring four college interns into my office. They worked for me for for eight weeks. I also started the charity in 2008 with my wife, which has helped over 800 underserved youth pursue their passions. So I had a lot of interface, a lot of interface with young people. And these interns, it started off where if they're going to spend eight weeks in my office, I felt I owed it to them as the CEO to give them some of my time. So i had scheduled two hours a week there. It started off as Gene's life lessons, the things I wish I knew going into my senior year. Mm -hmm. Right. And just sharing with them. And what came out of it was all of the questions they had all. Can you talk about this? What about this? And it made me realize just how ill prepared they were to start not only their professional careers, but their personal careers. Mm -hmm. And the frustrating thing was when you sat down with them one on one and you asked them, why do you want to be an engineer? Why do you want to be an accountant? Why do you want to go to law school? The overwhelming response was that somebody influential in their life, whether it be a parent, a grandparent or a teacher, kind of geared them in that direction, right? Yes. You, can make, you can make a living, you can make, like you were talking before, you can be compensated well. But what really concerned me is how many of them came back after doing it for a year or two and was so unhappy in the job. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> two of them went to two of the best law schools, Mm-hmm. In America, one went to Boston College, one went to NYU. They both graduated in the top 25% of their law class. They both came out and started working at big law firms. Within two years, they couldn't stand going to work every day. Hated it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Courtney, Courtney, she went to Lehigh, a very prestigious university. She was an economics and an English major. At Lehigh, if you graduated with a 3.75 GPA or higher... They would pay for your master's degree. She stayed, and they paid for her master's degree. She comes to me, and she says, "Dad, I, I want to be a lawyer. I, I want to go to law school." And you know, I had some real life experience with that. And I said, "Court, before you do that, why don't we see if we can reach out to some local uh, law firms, and you and and say to them, you know, you pa- you think you're passionate about this? Could you come in this summer and work for free, right?" In one law firm, uh, a, a partner took her in, David, and he exposed her to everything involved with being a lawyer. He showed her the research aspect of it, the administrative part. He took her into the courtroom five or six times. What ended up at the end of that summer, she came to me, and she said, Dad, I don't want to be a lawyer. And she said, I've always been passionate about being a teacher, but she thought it was too, too below her coming out of Lehigh. She didn't think that was a position that she should aspire to. And I said to her, same thing Mark Twain said, the two most important days in someone's life is the day you're born and the day you figure out why you were born. Go do that. And I had an opportunity. I was in the town that she taught in and I went into a Wawa with her and there was like three of her students working there. And I saw how they (laughs) related to her and smiling and asking her questions. And I left that Wawa and I said to my daughter, you're doing exactly what you should be doing. And I want that for more young people. I don't want them to be one of those 50 year old executives who have no job satisfaction, you know, and, and we talk about it and in the book. We talk about how you go about identifying your passion. And not only if you think it's your passion, how do you make sure it's your passion? And then how do you take the steps to get a job in that passion? right? We take them through the process. We, we, we outline it the for them. We give them a roadmap of how you get the interviews. And then once you have the interview, how you win the job, how you become a grandmaster of interviewing. So you're the one offered the job. So that's one of the things that we're really happy about that we can help some of them maybe find that thing they really love doing way before they're, they're in you know, the midlife crisis and, and unhappy with their life.
1: And just to piggyback there, I think that we all have voices that drive what we do. And, you know, people talk about following your instincts, listening to your gut. We have internal and external voices that are really loud. And so for me, it wasn't that I didn't, it's not that I thought teaching was below me. It's that I thought other people would judge that profession. And so I talk A lot to my students. They're 17, Mm -hmm. 18 year olds going to great colleges. And when I ask them what they want to be, um, you know, it's all lawyers, doctors, engineers. And when I ask them if they've ever done it, the answer is always no. And so being able to do different internships where not only did I get to see all parts of what goes on in the workplace, but I got to sit with people at lunch and hear the complaints they make are they happy are they not happy um that taught me so much but I think the bigger thing is that we all know in our gut whether a place is right or not for us and so Mm. I knew that where I was teaching for almost a decade was not the right place and I wasn't happy but we have this other voice that I think especially if there's dads listening to this you know my husband and I are, you know, financial security is important and it's scary. And so you think if I'm somewhere where I'm making a paycheck and I'm not going to lose my job and I have tenure, how could I leave? Mm -hmm. How could I leave this place? And so it's almost like those voices are yelling at each other. And what was helpful for me with this book, there's five sections. So the first section is life advice. The second section and the third section are really amazing proven, um, steps for how to basically approach the job search. The second section is your job search. And the third is your career. Mm -hmm. And that comes from my dad's 30 years in, in recruiting. And so the fourth section is personal finance and the fifth is health and relationships. But those two sections, career job search and career, as we were writing them and I'm revisiting them, I realized that the financial insecurity, the things I was scared of, didn't have to be fears because there really is a blueprint for how to change where you're at and to feel confident doing that. And so I, as we revisited this, how do you interview? How do you get yourself more interviews? How do you um, make sure that you're negotiating your offer and getting the most that you can get? And how do you make yourself the best candidate it gave me some control back to be able to like the voices that were the fear voices just to kind of put down and mm-hmm. go with my gut. And so this book is amazing for that because if your gut is telling you you're unhappy, there are black and white steps to get you to that next place that you want to be. And you don't have to be as scared.
2: Yeah. You know, and, and David, like my interns kept, you know, asking me, can, can, you, put can you put this in a book and you put this in a book and I started doing research, you know, and you know, it's it, it's scary you know 37 percent of adult children still live at home with their parents yep 34 percent of the u.s population if they were out of work for 90 days would be on the poverty line right we have divorce rates at 50 percent you know our our health system is 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 messed up right there's all these there's 1.6 percent trillion not billion trillion dollars in college loan debt Mm -hmm. all of these students are coming out with these college loans they all know how much they borrowed they all knew they had to start paying it back after six months but no one could tell me how much their monthly payment was going to be right Mm -hmm. because they don't figure that out until they stop borrowing right yep so you you, i hope i hope you go into a, a career that you're happy about that that you can pay this back you know and and I talk to them, and a lot of them don't even know what they want to be when they go into college, mm-hmm. and they're taking all these loans, David. And I'm a strong proponent of, of, you know, community college. If you don't know what you want to be, don't be taking thousands and thousands of dollars of loans. Go to community college, take those 101 courses. Two years later, you'll be in a better position to know what you want to do, and cut those loans in half. You know, I, I know students. That have a thousand, eleven hundred, twelve hundred dollars a month college loan payments for 10, 15, and 20 years. Mm -hmm. They they have a mortgage payment attached to their back, you know? And a lot of them, whatever their major was, they didn't need that to get the job they got, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And we advise, we advise in the book to if you know, if you can do two Mm -hmm. years of community college and then transfer to Mm -hmm. a four-year university for half the price, you finish your degree there. And that's the only, if you want to only put where you transfer to on your resume, Mm -hmm. um, that's where you have the diploma from, that's all you have to put. So I know the pressure to go to the best college. I mean, I see it every day with my students. There's so much pressure to go to the best place you go into, get into, but um, my, my husband did two years at community college transferred got finished his accounting degree at a four-year university and he ended up at Deloitte um, one of the big four Mm. accounting firms right out of college so as a
2: CPA too yeah as a
1: CPA and um, I think it's the best decision he ever made he paid completely for himself to get through college and before we got married he was able to pay off his loans and it was a big accomplishment and I think it's the smartest thing you can do
0: Mm, no, okay. I agree. hundred percent. Um, I see it. I mean, so much now, even with the young men and women that I have the opportunity to train, um, I have a lot of them that have come out of college because college just wasn't for them, but they have these degrees that they're not even working. I'm one of those people, you know, I have a degree in computer networking. Like I, I told you guys before, which I don't do anything with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I went into the trades, you know, and, um, I feel that your book has, you know, like you talked about in the, the job search and the career. It's so great that you guys have put this down because I wish I would have had something like that to help me, you know, because I felt stuck for a very long time. I even got stuck it, working at a utility in the industry that I am now to where, like she talked about, it was 40 hours a week. It was at home and I was so miserable there, right? Right. But I felt stuck. I didn't know how to leave that place because I had made a promise, an in interval to my wife saying, I am not going to be on the road again. So I sucked it up. And, dude, right. let me tell you, for those guys out there who are listening right now, if you're in this position, dude, please leave because you're just going to destroy your family. You are not yeah. stuck. You're not stuck.
2: So the first message I want your dads to get, okay, as fathers, I'm a father of four. If your child is passionate about something, I don't care what it is. It can be creating video games. It can be creating and starting a a lawn cutting service. As a parent, encourage it, support it, Don't, don't destroy it. It's perfectly okay to strategize with them on a plan B, okay? It's okay, everyone's gotta have a plan B. But every great dream begins with a dreamer, right? And parents and dads, I don't know if sometimes if we realize how much influence we have, how much influence we have, the things that we say to our children, right, to support that. You know, listen, I remember one of the, you know, one of the best lessons I learned as a dad is it's it's okay to expose your interest to your children, right? Some they're going to embrace, some they're not. But when they have a positive interest, then it becomes our responsibility as a dad to support that interest any way we possibly can. Courtney was a volleyball player. I never knew a damn thing about volleyball, you know, and all of a sudden, she was really passionate about it. Well, by the time that journey ended, I I learned a lot about volleyball, right, Courtney?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. My dad is the furthest thing from a musician, and he owned rock and roll clubs. I played the clarinet very different. Um, As I was squeaking notes, he sat there with the biggest smile and Told me I was great when I probably wasn't, but that made all the difference to me.
2: It sounded great to me, David. All
0: right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and that helped her with her self-esteem too, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think, yeah. I think the biggest thing that parents are going to hear these days and David having a 16 year old, and I'm sure you've heard this, mm-hmm. you know, when we were younger, it was probably, we want to be NBA stars or, um, you know, professional athletes. Now you're going to hear your kids say, I want to make beats is the number one thing I had to learn about and uh, be a YouTuber, which I think we have to, instead of laughing at them, uh, you know, let them try that. But also you can have the conversation. What do you love about making beats or what do you love about, you know, having a social media um, account? Like why do you think you'd want to be an influencer or what do you love um, about YouTube? And those things can be transferable. So if you help your kid, if, if they, know what makes them light up and gives Mm -hmm. them that passion. Those are things that maybe they can't make beats for the rest of their life, but um, being creative, Mm -hmm. putting, um, you know, uh, working with a small team to create something together, those are things that you can find in other industries. So like believing in that passion, letting them talk, asking questions, um, you'll get somewhere with that.
2: Yeah. And David, so just to follow up with that, I, you love them for who they are. Mm-hmm. What, you love them for who they are, you know? And the other thing that Courtney said, it was one of the things, you know, took me a while as a father, but because I'm a talker, but mm-hmm. the better I got at learning to listen and listen to learn, I think the better the father I became.
1: He's right? still working on that one.
0: <laughs> I,
2: it, yeah, I'm a work in progress, David. I'll be the first one to admit that, right?
1: Me too, I
0: think we all are. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like that you said, uh, learn to listen and listen to learn. Um, yeah. I think nowadays people just want to listen <sighs> so they can give a response yeah. versus understanding the why and what drives the question, right? Uh, I know for me, for my kids, we practice what Courtney was talking about. We call it dinner table talk. And I actually got that from a, a past guest, you know, and that's what we do. I ask him questions um, just like she was saying, you know, cause my young, my youngest, he wants to be a YouTuber. I mean, the guy <laughs> records on oh, his man. phone. It, it's funny cause he's, he's six years old. He loves working out cause he sees me being like you talked about, you know, we're, you know, we're, um, we're being watched right? In our homes. So he sees me working out. I, I do arm wrestling. I, I love to arm wrestle and he sees me working out and stuff like that. So he stays there arm wrestling and, <laughs> and working out and everything. And he records himself and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh dad, I'm going to put this on my my blog. I'm like, you got a blog? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, it's cute. You know what I mean? And it, it's awesome. And that's something that he's interested in. He, he's definitely, you know, I, I think that as parents, it's up to us to realize our children's gifts. Right. And then from there, we have to help them develop those gifts. Absolutely.
2: And it's their gifts, not your gifts. Yes. Meaning you can expose them to your gifts. And if they embrace them, great. But if they don't, that's okay. You know, my oldest grand grandson, he's nine years old. Uh, my son, I would always wherever we went, Dave, we were throwing a ball, having a catch. Me and Courtney, we were having a catch. He's, he's the furthest thing from that. He loves Legos. You know, he's a Lego kid. He loves video games and you know what? So I'm learning, I, I'm learning how to play Zelda breath of breath of the wild. You know, if I want to spend time with him, I, 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 I'm his assistant with the Lego set, you know, I'm getting the pieces out, mm-hmm. you know, that's his thing. It's the furthest thing for me, but if I want to have a relationship with him, I'm going to support his interests.
1: And I think the the giving them confidence through just showing interest in them, like you said, David, is so Mm -hmm. important. I had my students did final projects for the year where they basically were answering the question, you know, let your life speak. Um, What do you stand for? Something you enjoy doing. And I had a student talk about how they love to compose music and something that they compose was actually used at an indie film festival. And he in they had to com- conduct interviews um, related to the topics. And so he interviewed his dad because his dad one summer basically was like, okay, you have two months. What do you want to do? And gave him like a list of options. He wanted to um, try this music composition course. And so he did it for the summer and he was interviewing his dad. And he was like, how did you know this is something I would be good at and his dad said I didn't know I had a list of 10 other things in case you failed but you know I thought we'd give it a shot and you know he just remembers his dad like being like you can do this you're so great and his dad yeah. was like I had no idea I just thought why not so uh, that made all the difference
0: that's great you and, know and it keeps us too evolving as parents you know what I mean? Like you said about the Legos and then even with the uh, the video games and stuff like that, you know, I recently had to learn about TikTok because if my daughter wanted TikTok, I'd rather her have it in my home where there's a little bit of control over what she's watching than her, me telling her no, right? And then her going watching stuff that is that I don't want her watching at her friend's house, okay? So I had to be involved and be hip to the TikTok and all this, the, the stuff that's not good for them to be watching or not age appropriate and stuff like that, you know, and it keeps us evolving as parents as well.
2: You know, and I'll tell you something, David, see, I'm a little concerned about where we go from here. You know mm-hmm. uh, the other, the other night I'm in a restaurant with my wife and a young couple comes in with two young children. They were mm-hmm. probably 10 and eight. All four of them were on devices for almost the entire meal. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I see with my own grandkids, mm-hmm. you know, like you know, my my older daughter, Courtney's older sister. I mean, they'll let them, you know, they control it, right? There's boundaries, but when they're on their devices, there could be a fire, and they're so connected to that device, mm-hmm. you can't even even talk to them. So I don't know where we go with that. I, I just hope that parents protect your meal time together that mm-hmm. family time and you have to lead by example you can't have your cell phone out if you expect your kids to be connected with you mm-hmm. those times you are together i think you have to cherish them i think you have to set some house rules up and they all got to agree on them and and protect those times together yeah. you know and, and 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 make it family time cuz i'm i'm worried about the future watching that young family the other night i was like You know, I I wish I knew them to have a talk with the dad, but I didn't, you know. Oh, that would have been
1: obnoxious. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I, so we can't fight the technology. We have to embrace it in some ways. I do see how it is really impacting Mm -hmm. the learning environment. My students would rather cut off their limb instead of give me their cell phones. Um, And I mean that very literally, Mm -hmm. but I try to explain to them the science behind it show them all the data. Like there was one study done where they tested people's cognitive functioning with the cell phone in front of them on the table. They um, had a group where the cell phone was in their pocket turned off and then they had the cell phone in another room. And obviously the further away the cell phone was the less their cognitive functioning was um, disturbed. But the most interesting finding was That no matter where the cell phone was it did disrupt the cognitive functioning in some way so even having your phone on but it being across the room you're somehow subconsciously sort of thinking about that next message or notification you can get um and so it's impacting what we do all the time and i i find with at least older kids if we explain how it's impacting them Mm -hmm. it makes somewhat of a difference and when you get to the workspace it becomes a huge issue. I remember um, Gene, right at, at your company, you, had a, you have a huge problem with interns, their phones and being able to put it away. It's, it's a professionalism thing that I think as Gen Z gets older, they're not able to overcome.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, Dave. I'll tell you one last story about what Courtney's talking about. I coached my son's AAU team, right? And we used to travel basketball on tournaments. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I would take the 10 boys out for dinner. You know, and one night I go there and all 10 of them have their phones out. So I finally look at them and I say, you know, Mrs. Rice and I have every intention for paying for each one of your dinners tonight, except if you think we're so boring that you have the need to take your cell phone out, then we'll just give you your own separate invoice. And every phone went away and the conversation changed dramatically. There was such a great conversation. I did have to give one invoice out though at the end of the meal and that, and that went to my
1: son, of course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man.
1: All about time and place, time and place. But I mean, listen, I am all for sometimes giving your kid the phone and putting Mm -hmm. on a show so that you can have a moment of peace with your partner (laughs) and a glass of wine and, and get a little bit of silence, but again,
0: boundaries. No. And I like it. You guys kept saying boundaries. I had a past guest, Dr. Stephen Poulter come on here and he talked about as parents, we need to be constant. Okay. Here in Southern California, we'll have our mountains, you know, we got Mount San Antonio or big bear. You can see in the distance and it'll be snow capped right now that snow will come and go just as the seasons change. Right. The thing that never changes is that mountain. It's constant. And That's how we got to be as parents. We got to be constant. We got to have our boundaries. We can't set up boundaries, and then all of a sudden, a week later, because we get lazy or get laxed, and then all of a sudden, just let them go rampant again. We got to be constant. They're looking at us as that moral compass. They need those boundaries for us to say, hey, look, during this time, this time. If you have your homework done, if you have your chores done, you're allowed because it's a privilege. It's not a right. I think a lot of times these kids think that a phone is a right. And that's why they get angry when we take it away. I I had the same issues with my daughter. You know, we got to let them know that that's a privilege. They don't have to have a phone, but we're allowing them to have a phone. Right, you know? And I think that's where it's crossed. And I think if we make that distinction with them and we allow them to have that, why? Cause I, I'm a firm believer now as a parent, as an instructor, we got to tell them why Yes, this yep. this whole thing of telling them, because I said, so doesn't fly anymore. Right. You know? I agree. And,
1: and I'm, I mean, I'm a millennial mm-hmm. and my dad's a totally different generation, you know, just a few years older, but, um, we grew up, I I didn't have technology until I was probably in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, Our kids are growing up differently. We, like you said, we have to keep up with what is changing. And I think part of that is also figuring out how to use the technology to our advantage. So I like to teach my students, hey, have you heard of this app that will actually freeze your phone for you for 30 minutes? Like, what are you having trouble with when you're Mm -hmm focusing okay like you keep getting notifications yeah that's really hard let's problem solve hey have you heard of this app have you heard of this extension it's it's gonna stop all the notifications and so um I think those are conversations that we need to first learn how to do that ourselves and learn mm-hmm. what the apps are but then have those lessons with our kids
0: can you yeah. share that app do you, do you know? yes it?
1: I have to it's an extent there's an extension I will I have to message it to you because I don't okay. know what off the top of my head.
0: I'll, I'll put it in the in the notes because I yeah. think that'd be, you know, pretty helpful. For, I just for had a to use this listeners. with
1: a student who has very bad ADHD and was about to fail this semester. And I was like, <laughs> give me your computer. We are putting this on. And he embraced it.
0: That, that's good he, that he
2: did. You know, yeah. yeah. You know, David, one thing also, I, and I and in mentoring a lot of young fathers, right. Mm-hmm. The first chapter in the book, Grad to Grown Up is know your foundation right mm-hmm. what do you stand for what are you willing to fight for yep. what are the values that are really important to you right i know when my wife and i got married you know that was one of the conversations we always had you know our values were very very aligned you know family right giving back work ethic continuous learning and i think with young fathers it's important that they get their arms around mm-hmm. what's their foundation What are the things they're willing to fight for? Because those are the things and those are the messages that you want to be talking to your children about. Yes. You know, those that's what you want to pass on, you know,
1: and be open that your foundations could be different. We talk about how my dad embraced being with my mom and marrying her because of his foundation. But my mom is Jewish and my dad is Catholic Mm -hmm. and his parents religion was a deal breaker you don't marry someone who is, you know, he's an Irish Catholic family. Mm -hmm. And, um, but his foundation wasn't religious is important to my dad, I will tell you that he still goes to church on Sundays, and he took us to church on Sundays. But that wasn't one of his core foundational values. It was family. And my mom and him aligned in that way. And so and I have, you know, some different values than him. So I think having a foundation is one thing, but then being open that your children might have different ones.
0: Mm -hmm. I like that. Now you guys talk about in your book that there's five major sections in life, right? And how you came up with them, right? One of the ones that really stood out to me is one's personal life is the most important to develop. And your goal is to help the readers to examine their own lives so they can grow. Can you elaborate a little bit more about this and why you feel this is so important?
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny, David, when the agent was shopping the book, Uh because my executive search background, every publisher wanted me to write the entire book on career and job search. Mm -hmm. And I said, I won't do that. I said, because I really, I know for a fact, you can't have real professional success without personal success. Yes. I've had the opportunity to place over a thousand executives in jobs. I've placed over 200 CEOs. I can tell you right now, The ones that brought that bring the most value to their boards, to their shareholders, to their staff are the ones that not only have professional success, but they have personal success, they have purpose in their lives, right? And I've seen many of them who are so professionally focused and it affected the other side of it. Mm -hmm. And eventually they crumble and it affects their own careers. Mm. They're away, their're families, they get divorced, you know what I mean And yes. they could still be very successful, but they're unhappy. Mm. So we really I know for a fact and I believe this, I would not have had my professional success if I didn't have the personal success. My greatest my greatest accomplishment in my life is not the business and the, and the great wealth that I've accumulated. It's my 38 year marriage and my children and my grandchildren, you know and, and I'm, yeah. yeah.
1: As much as I make fun of my dad, I also talk so much in the book about how he is really one of the best people in the entire world. And it's not just because of my dad. He is someone who's always trying to get better and be better, evolve, and help people. He's one of those people that when he walks into a room, it it just lights up. People are attracted to him. He's magnetic. And this was a really fun section to write because. Job search and career, those could roll off his tongue so quickly. We wrote those chapters so quickly because they're clear blueprints. They work. he, He knows them. And in life, he has all this advice. But there were things as his daughter that I could say, dad, no, this is what's special about you, too. We need a chapter on that. So he didn't come to me. You know, one of the chapters is never underestimate the power of humor. And I said, dad, you are one of the funniest people I know. It brings rooms together. You have to tell the story X. There's one story in the book. I won't give it away now. But I was like, it's the funniest thing ever. And you made the whole room come together. Like this needs to be in the life section. This is what is magical about you. And so it was fun for me as his daughter to be like, you know, tell this story. You always ask and, and amazing things happen. There's a chapter called there's no harm in asking because just by asking my dad has made incredible things happen for us. So this life section um, was something where I was just like, you are an incredible person and we need to throw that in here as well.
2: Do you understand why I love her so much, David? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Proud daddy right there, man. Yeah. I can it, see they, why. Let me tell you some things that have happened that the book's been out for six weeks now, Grad grown-up, mm-hmm. and I've gotten a few emails that just make me realize this is, this is why we wrote it. I had a young man a couple of weeks ago Who's uh, he was working in New York City and he had just put a 14 hour day in and he sends me an email. He says, after working 14 hours, I stopped to have a bite to eat by myself at this restaurant by my house. And he goes, I had just finished your book. And as I'm finishing my meal, I look up and there's this old gentleman at the bar and there's a chapter in the book, which is talk to the oldest person in the room mm-hmm. and the value you can get out of that. And I think a lot of young adults would, but they don't know the questions to ask. So we give them the questions to ask. So he said, I just finished your book. And that chapter, I saw this old man eating, drinking by himself. So I said, I'm going to give it a shot. So I sat down next to him and I started asking some of the questions you had given me in the book. And I'm sending you this email because I want you to know two and a half hours later, I left that restaurant. It was one of the best nights of my life. He goes, I laughed and I enjoyed myself so much. And I made a new friend. And the gentleman he is sat next to, I guess, was a retired senior writer from the Johnny Carson show. Mm-hmm. And he had all these amazing stories for this young man. So that's the stuff that's making Courtney and I so proud. Like there's 68 tips, but if everyone can walk away with two or three things that helped them, mm-hmm. then all the time we put into writing the book was worthwhile.
0: Mm, no, I can't agree more. Um, one of the things I think is so amazing about Eugene and Courtney, is that, Gene, for one, I've always tried to surround myself with the older generation, okay? Um, I see that there's tremendous value. You know, even at work right now, I hang around with an older gentleman who I have the most respect for. And uh, he's been around the block. He, he's an old lineman, full of wisdom. Okay, and I've always tried to hang around with those guys, even with my grandpa, I used to love hanging around and hearing those old stories, you know what I mean, how it used to be with the the carriages and the wagons and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about that, you know, you have a different point of view, and these solid foundations that you've seen and grown up with that our new generation is losing. You know, I call it the basics. Yeah. And it's good that you're being able to put that on paper to be able to share that knowledge out there and have your daughter break it down to like to layman's terms, I guess, so this next generation can understand it because there's a lot of truth and a lot of value to what you're saying. I get it because I, grew, I was in that group where you had the old and the new coming up, you know what I mean? So I have the tendency to kind of go with the old values you know, that are being lost. And I see that now with the generation that I work with, you know, I could sit there and talk about transformation theory. I could talk about fair resonance and all this cool stuff that has, that has to be trained and has to be taught. Right. But majority of the time when I'm talking to these young fathers, cause there's a lot of young fathers right now in the trade, their questions are, man, I'm failing in this, I'm doing this. How can I be better? How can I be more present? And those are things that need to be talked about. Yeah, this, this other stuff, this information that we're training these kids for, but we also have this other value to it, like you guys did with your, your career steps and your personal finance and, and all these different things, you know what I mean, you have to all tie it together. And I agree with you, because you said, professional sex, you cannot have uh, professional success, without personal success. And Being able to get those values from you and being able to put them on paper, you know what I mean? You're going to be a complete person. And I think that's what people need today. You need to be a complete person absolutely. because what good is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your family?
2: I'm telling you, David, I've placed executives. These aren't six figure gentlemen or women. Mm -hmm. They're seven figures. And you would look at them and you would think from a financial point of view, they're extremely successful. Mm -hmm but their personal lives are a total mess. Yep. And they're not happy. I don't care how successful they are in business. They're not happy. And I want your audience to realize, you know, I've done this for a living without both sides coming together. It's, it doesn't come together, you know, and, and you talk about the younger generation, how I've learned to to deal with them is, you know, is give them very specifics. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. One of the college interns called me and he got a job. And he asked me, he goes, You know, they offer this 401k plan. I don't know if I should invest in it, you know. And I'm like, Wait, time out, time out, time out, time out. He goes, You know, I'm young. I don't have to worry about retirement. And what I had to do with him is I had to show him his company had a 25% match. So for every dollar that he put away, they would match 25 cents, right? And I showed him a formula where to invest it, just leave it alone, put it in the S&P index 500, don't worry about it. It's gonna go up 73% of the time, it will go down 27% of the time. But if you leave it alone over the last 100 years, it's grown 11.4%. And I got him, if he was able to put away $94 a week, right, that's before tax, right? So at 94, he'd probably only take home 60. In 30 years, when he turned 52, He'd be a multi-multi-millionaire. He'd have $3,250,000, right? And I'm like, you contribute to that 401k immediately. And it's one of the tips in the book. And if your audience goes to the website, David, grad they can download that chapter for free. They can get it and look at it. So with that younger generation, I had to be very specific. The hardest conversations I had with them is they are a little different than the way I was raised and the way you were raised, you know? And I had to explain to them, once you get the job, it's not over, right? There's no elevator to success. You got to take the stairs. And what does that mean? You got to show up and you got to be ready to work. You know, let's say you're hired into a big company. Well, you're going to be hired with probably another 19 college graduates, right? Now, out of that 20 college graduates, two of you are going to emerge five, 10 years down the road. You're going to be the future leaders of this company. Now, what's different about those two from the other 18? They show up, they put the work ethic in, they build relationships within the firm, they establish mentorships within the firm, they're collaborate, they're a good teammate, right? And I have to spend time explaining that to them, right? Because some of them coming out of the best universities think, okay, I just have to show up. Mm -hmm. You don't have to show up. Yes, you have to show up, but you have to show up in a certain way, you know?
1: And it's not, it's not like a a us versus them, like, oh, this younger generation. Mm -hmm. I think this younger generation is amazing in so many ways. That's why I do what I do. Like Mm -hmm. just the way that they view life, the way that they're, um, you know, involved in social justice, the way they approach things, they have so much to offer. Um, And I also think that because you've mentioned, you know, money can't be the motivating factor, we have tips in here to help with that. But our fifth section goes with the first section, the fifth section is health and relationships. And I think a lot of men and dads, especially, Mm -hmm. will get a lot from that section, because we had to get really vulnerable. And, um, you know, my dad talks about things that probably a lot of young fathers are going through, um, and talks about how you know, he thought therapy was for crazy people and what happened when he finally needed to go and the therapist, he was going to couples therapy. That's how he got into it. Mm -hmm. My mom kind of forced him there. And the therapist said, "Gene, this is a you issue, not a marriage issue. Let's, let's work through this. Um, but there's, I think there's advice about, um, especially as a man ways Mm -hmm. that you have to kind of connect and break your walls down to work through some of the problems to find purpose.
2: Yeah. And and David, I'll tell you in in that fifth section is one of the tips. And for you and for fathers, this is something that maybe I would like to share Mm -hmm. is a, there's a chapter on leave your baggage behind. Right. And what does that mean? And this was really tough for me to, to write. But we we're are all, we're all raised differently, right? We bring into relationships a lot of things. And not everything we bring in is good. There's baggage. We all have baggage. And the earlier you could figure out what that baggage is, what are those things you don't want to, to take forward to the next generation? Right? What are those things? You know, I was raised in a family... Six kids, my dad was a steam fitter. He came over here from Ireland, right? A lot of drinking, right? A lot of dysfunctional things going on. Well, first you have to identify as a, as, as a young man and a father, what is that baggage that you wanna leave behind? You don't wanna pass on to your children, right? And the earlier you can do that. I didn't, I, I didn't get my arms around that until a little later right? But the, I wish I had gotten my arms around some of that baggage a little bit earlier. I might have gotten there a little faster. It, it's something I want your young fathers, if they haven't thought about that, it, it's, it, it's to sit down and say, okay, maybe you start with, here's all the great stuff that I want to bring forward. But here's maybe one or two things that if I could leave it behind, I want to leave that baggage behind.
1: Yeah, my, da- my dad and dad, I credit you so much for this. He broke a lot of really really bad cycles that Mm. you know get passed down from generation generational trauma he did a lot of work to heal a lot of that so Mm. that it wouldn't be on his children and of course we all mess up our children in some way that's what I keep telling myself with my son like (laughs) yeah you you can't be perfect and he shares both of those things
0: the goal though is to recognize that baggage like your father did and to make those corrections I think you know being able to Tell your children, hey, man, I messed up. I think that's one of the greatest things as parents we can possibly do. It does two things. It shows them that we're vulnerable and that, hey, it's okay when you make mistakes to own up to them. And number two, it shows them that you care, you know what I mean? That you actually truly care because you, you're you sorry, you're showing empathy, and you want to make that change for them, you know what I mean? And um, I think if more fathers were able to do that, I mean, l- let's look at it this way. Men, we were taught to lie, since we were boys, lie about our feelings, lie about this. So then we get to a certain age when we actually become men, we lie, right? We lie when we're uncomfortable, we lie when, and when we're put on the spot, you know, we we lie to our spouses, and we lie to ourselves. You know, I know for so long, I used to lie to myself and say, man, this is a good place to work. This is awesome. This is amazing. I had a, an uncanny ability of justifying how great a place was, even though it was eating me up inside. And I think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of men do that because we're trained to lie, you know, and if we can break that generational curse, if we can break that mold and we can just step into the future on a clean slate by just just breaking down those generational curses, you know, our families are going to be a, a lot better for it. in the future. And you know
2: something, David, and I'll tell you something, and if any of your audience experienced what you like, you know, what you experienced where you're really unhappy, that's one of the reasons that the book was written, there's a mm-hmm. roadmap on what they can do to change that. All right. Sometimes, you know, you're stuck, and you don't know what to do. There's an actual roadmap. Mm -hmm. step one a to z so at least go out there and and and, and try to change the narrative Mm -hmm. you know
1: and like you're saying we don't always know it because we're lying to ourselves but i think we're the most the newest generation is the most like the most open to therapy and getting help that there's been but also mm-hmm. the most detached from themselves because we have more ways than ever to hide from ourselves mm-hmm. and so it's this weird dichotomy of we have all this access we're open to it but do we even know how we're feeling because we can turn on netflix or get on our phone and, and hide from all the problems
0: mm-hmm. and that's just another form of just uh, sedating ourselves yep you know absolutely absolutely Over- once again, you guys, uh, how can our audience reach you? It's, it's gone really quick.
2: (laughs) I'm going to let Courtney do it. Can I just give Uh,
0: your dad's two pieces of advice from me as a father, right?
2: And here's the one thing I'd like to share with them. And then I'll share the second. One of the things that, that made me, I think a better father. And I told you earlier, I had four children, but my three girls were the three oldest. They were all teenagers at the same time. So it was really stressful. (laughs) And I will tell you, David, I made myself a promise after a situation that happened with one of my daughters where I lost my cool and she was totally wrong, right? Totally wrong. But once I lost my cool, whatever she did went out the window because dad lost his cool, right? And what was I really trying, you know, what, what was the lesson that she was learning for me that when you get frustrated, it's okay to lose your temper. Right. And one of the promises I made to myself after this instant, and I, and I never did it again, as a dad, you got to hold yourself accountable. If you lose it, you lose. No matter what happened previously, as a dad, If you lose it, you lose. It's our responsibility to take a deep breath, walk outside, okay? If you can't deal with the situation now, say I need a few minutes. But as dads, we don't want lessons to be passed on that when you get stressed or you get frustrated, it's okay to explode. And that's one thing that made me a better dad when I held myself accountable to that, okay? Mm -hmm. That's one thing i like to share. The next thing is, and this is something that I think can make a real difference to your dads and start it as young as your children are. I want people to create a life of gratitude. And how do you do that? Well, if you had a young dad putting your four year old or five year old down to bed tonight, besides reading, going, reading, you know, saying prayers and reading them a book, when they put their head down on their pillow, encourage them to recall three things that happened that day that they're grateful for. And it could be as easy as the sun came out. I really like what mom made for dinner tonight. right? I'm grateful for the catch we had. Right. But if they can go to bed every night, recalling three things they're grateful for, you're going to be surprised. It's going to come three, four or five weeks down the road. They're going to recall four or five things that day that they're grateful for. They're going to wake up in the morning and they'll start looking at life a little differently. They'll look at life where the glass is half full. It's not half empty. And we've all have friends that look at the glass half full and half empty. How much more enjoyable is it to be with friends that look at the glass half full? Every now and then you have a friend where the glass is overflowing. You know, we, we have a a chapter in the book, are you a tigger or an Eeyore? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I just think dads can play a really key role in establishing and creating that life of gratitude with their children.
0: And so that's that- the next
2: thing I wanted
0: to pass. I really like that because that's that's what I'm trying to teach my my younger boys now <laughs> is uh being, you know, grateful for things. And man, that that helped me out tremendously. I just want to let you know that and i'm going to start implementing that too as well because like you said you know i'll put them to bed i'll say the prayer one of the other things i do as a father is i give them a blessing every night i bless my children you know and uh, i'm going to start implementing that too you know the three things that they could be grateful for because living a life of gratitude is is of the utmost importance you know um yeah. A lot if of all you change
1: changes your attitude, you can change everything.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, once again, guys, thank you so much for coming on here. If you want to share real quick uh, how they can reach you and get your book. Absolutely. So you
1: them. can get you can get our book at any retailer that sells books. We're at Amazon, Walmart, Target, um, Grad to Grown Up. Also, gradtogrownup.com, G-R-A-D-T-O-G-R-O-W-N-U-P com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, grab to grown up book or Facebook as well. And LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. You guys, you guys are amazing. Thank you once again for coming on here. Thank you to our listeners. And I know they're going to get tremendous value from this.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you. you guys have a great one. Bye bye. David, if I can do
2: anything for you, just let me know. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Best to you and your family. All right. You too.
0: Thank you. God bless.
2: Yeah.
1: Thanks, David.